Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Dreams, and today we're talking esports player health, one of my all-time favorite topics. And to do that, we have Jake Middleton, an esports performance manager with Adamus Esports. Jake, thanks for joining the show. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Adamus is a leader in measuring and enhancing esports performance by helping players improve their physical and mental health through psychology, fitness, and nutrition, as well as gaming, of course. On their staff, they have a performance coach, a psychologist, a rehab specialist, a physiotherapist, and an optometrist, all specializing in esports and gaming. And in the past, they've worked officially with the Vancouver Titans and the Seattle Surge, and they have some awesome uh, great partnerships on the horizon as well. Jake personally specializes in exercise, nutrition, and sleep, but he's also working on his master's in sport and performance psychology. He's also worked on quite a few studies in esports performance research as well. And of course, he's worked personally with pro and college esports programs and players. So Jake, what does a day in the Adamus offices look like pre-COVID? I imagine things have changed a little bit when you can't be in person with everybody. Right. So... Pre-COVID, um, it was actually kind of similar to what it is now. As at the time when I first got the job, I was in LA. And so I worked primarily remotely, um, kind of building out the initial programming um, that we were going to do. And then I moved up to Washington and uh, from there was doing a little bit stuff more in person with, with the, some of the teams that you'd mentioned, the Titans and the Surge. Um, and then COVID hit. And so I actually moved back to Kansas City, um, would be with family and friends. And so I've just been working remotely since then. But um, our goal was to do more in-person kind of programming, flying athletes up to Vancouver, but also traveling to them, um, doing different types of things from, you know, combines to just um, working in person. But um, as of now, we're actually pretty much mostly a completely remote-based business now going forward. How does that change the performance aspect where when you're working with a player, you know, I think about the different times I've gone to physical therapy or worked with people. It's always usually a very hands-on experience. Is it a little bit harder to replicate that? via remote training or have you found ways that you can really make that work definitely there's always going to be a little bit of difficulty doing things remote based um especially when it comes to things like exercise because you know we can always give players an individualized program based on the equipment they have their skill level and all things like that but you know not being there being able to cue the exercise show make sure that they're doing correct form and stuff like that um can be challenging because you know it potentially can increase their risk of them hurting themselves. But overall, um, doing things through video formats um, and then just making sure we're providing the tools for them, whether that's, you know, video of how to perform an exercise. Um, overall, it has been uh, pretty successful so far. Um, and we're continuing to find ways to kind of like make sure that we kind of optimize those areas. Definitely. That's incredibly important, especially in remote. It's just making sure that people are hitting their goals and like you mentioned, doing the exercise correctly, not hurting themselves. Have you seen, actually, I, I'm curious where you got your start. I've talked to a few people who do esports, gaming, health, and it's always something that I find really interesting. Why was this something you wanted to specialize in particularly? Yeah, so I, um, I've i been a gamer my entire life. I was technically, I, I competed in competitive Halo. And so I first technically got into esports back in around 2006 with competitive Halo 2. Um, I'd always played traditional sports like football, basketball, and baseball growing up. Um, and it was in, when I was in college, I kind of was trying to decide what I wanted to do. I was majoring in exercise science and I was looking at the gaming space in general. And I had this idea for an app to kind of get gamers more physically active. And then I kind of pivoted from there to more specifically on esports and seeing that, 
you know, there really wasn't any sports, traditional sports performance models being used in the space. And, you know, that was the time back when players were in player houses predominantly and all of the things that went with that. And so um, I wanted to kind of help pretty much bring this to the space. And I knew that this was going to be important um, down the road. And, and you know, it'd be great to kind of do do something I'm passionate about on the performance side of things, but also then within esports. And so um, from there, I kind of just started reaching out on message boards online, um, getting feedback from people, which was definitely mixed. Um, and then I did my undergraduate research project on the effects of exercise programming on esports performance and got really positive results with that. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm from Missouri. And so I, I went to college in Springfield, Missouri. Most people probably won't know where that's at, but I moved back to my hometown of Kansas City. Um, it's kind of a smaller esports community, but it's definitely growing. And so I worked with some teams there locally, um, was able to get some publicity and then um, eventually moved out to LA and was working with a couple of pro teams. Um, and so it kind of just, things kind of snowballed from there. But uh, for me, it's definitely my passion for, for gaming and then uh, my passion for performance as well. And then finding a way to kind of combine those together. I've definitely spent some time in Springfield, Missouri. You might be surprised to know. I, uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. My dad's from St. Louis. So we used to go out there every summer and I did quite a few trips to over to Kansas city. And so uh, I've, I've been all up around Missouri uh, plenty of times as a kid, not been for a while. I actually missed that Casey barbecue pretty bad at this point. Oh, that's good stuff. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I also, before we jump into your, I'm curious to learn more about your undergraduate research and how physical performance impacts esports. But I have to say, I think you were the third person on this podcast who was a former Halo pro who uh, is now doing something else at esports. One was a player agent and manager. One was Trey from Vast, who's doing gaming giveaways. And now you, and I think it's so funny to see all the roots that Halo esports has in the wider esports industry as Halo's kind of fallen away. And now we're really hoping that Halo comes back soon and Halo esports has a has a beautiful yes, revival. So and when that happens, I think I want to gather all three of you who had roots in Halo just to have a like a big Halo uh geek out. Because it was one of my first things I remember watching when like back in, you know, I was in early high school and watching halo esports like wow this is awesome and that was when like a passion for esports started and just root for the halo esports return so i kind of want to have all of you back on just to geek about halo that, that'd be really funny i would love to have that conversation i have so many thoughts around all of that because halo esports like you said is the roots for a lot of esports in north america and it's just unfortunate kind of where it's at now but uh definitely definitely would love love to talk about that all right well we're gonna book that would, would they because they just like uh, tempered they, they pushed back schedule due to COVID I'm pretty sure with the the release of the game and then they they had like another like three month gap to just fill out this fall with some new competition some new money but yeah when Halo Esports finally makes a big return I know there's people planning on it we're gonna have to do that so so book that on your calendar because that'll be fun uh but let's talk about your undergraduate study not to get too off course I can always do that with Halo it always happens uh when you were researching how physical training affects uh, uh let me know if i got this framing wrong affects people's esports performance what was what did you find out of that research that might surprise some people so so with that um the whole goal was just to kind of get this conversation going you know like about um lifestyle factors like exercise but even nutrition and sleep and how that can affect performance and so 
with that, it was a very small sample size, um, but I used the game League of Legends um, and I ended up getting six total participants. And so um, what I did, I, I don't play League of Legends. I don't really play MOBAs. I'm an FPS person. And so I kind of had to learn a little bit more about um, League of Legends. But um, what we did is we set up a, a design where we had a pre-trial tournament and then we had a post-trial tournament. And so, and then there was a four-week trial period in between. And so we randomly assigned those six participants to one of two groups. The first group was the exercise group itself, which performed two cardio workouts for 30 minutes on a bike at a moderate intensity per week, and then one full body weightlifting workout per week. So three three workouts total. And that prescription is actually, you know, less than what the recommended guidelines are that most major institutions put out. Um, and then the other group was just advised to not exercise at all for the for the four-week trial. Um, and so what they did is they played 1v1s on Summoner's Rift, just on the mid lane only. Um, and then we took a bunch of metrics from, you know, uh, creep score to, to tower points to things like that. Um, and interestingly, we we made sure to kind of like cover for things like skill level um, and other lifestyle factors. And in the post-trial tournament, the players that did the exercise group significantly outperformed um, the non-exercise players. And so... Um, it was really interesting to see the results. Um, and then really the main thing was on the discussion about, you know, what, what exercise does physiologically um, and psychologically for, for anyone, but players in an esports title, particularly. Um, and some of the work that other organizations were doing like Red Bull at the time and um, really just kind of getting that conversation going. It feels like that conversation has really picked up a lot of speed over the last two or so years. You see brands like Nike enter esports and their focus is player health. We're, we're going to bring players out to the Beaverton campus. We're going to run them through tests. You see uh, performance uh, places open up like Complexity's lab next to the Dallas Cowboys Stadium where I had Jason Lake talk about that. He calls it esports 3.0 where they're getting nutrition from the Dallas Cowboys nutritionist and they're they're working out at the same facilities that an nfl team uses have you seen that conversation really advance a lot because from an outsider's perspective i feel like everyone is a lot more conscious of how a focus on physical health and nutrition uh, can make a positive impact for people who play esports yeah i think that that conversation um has really escalated quite a bit like back in 2015 i mean there was really nothing really kind of around that, that you could see in like the public sphere. But uh, over the course, you know, of where we are now, most organizations um, realize the importance of that. And they have, whether it's uh, their actual own support staff or, you know, uh, a consultant, um, they basically are making sure that, you know, their players are, are being active. I still think that there are, there's a lot of area for growth and improvement in that because um, some orgs, you know, they might give players a gym membership, which is absolutely great that they give the money and allow them to do that. But then players themselves, you know, they're responsible to go to the gym and some of them may not have the knowledge and tools to be able to effectively and safely do an exercise program. And so um, the goal that that I see and hope in the future is, you know, when orgs, um, for various reasons, they're, they're wise, you know, why some orgs don't invest in health and wellness, but um, is to eventually every, every org can have some sort of support staff where they have, a, whether it's a fitness trainer, um, or a physical therapist to be able to then work with the players and provide these services. It's really, really crucial. And you're right. It's a, you can't just necessarily slap, be like, hey, eat healthy. You'll be fine. It would, especially when you have a lot of like 18, 19 year olds who think they're invincible, they might not see the importance of it unless you have somebody who's really hammering it. Hey, this is why this works. 
you mentioned how we still have a long way to go. What are some of the misconceptions that you still see among gamers when it comes to their health? I think for a lot of them, the players themselves, it's just that they don't really view it as necessary. Um, for a lot of them, especially at the pro level, you know, they got there because they, they grinded and they played the game uh, usually more than other people. Um, and there's other factors that led to their success, but ultimately exercise may not have been a part of that equation. And players come from such different backgrounds. You know, some might actually come from a traditional sports background and they kind of understand these things, whereas others may not. And I think that it's, it's the challenge of, of really getting players to like buy in. And um, that comes through education, which is what, you know, I've been working on and other people have been working on the space. Um, but really, really getting them to get out of that traditional mindset that I need to be playing more than the other person, um, that I constantly, you know, need to be on the grind, but that, no, you can, you can dedicate a little bit of time to exercise, you know, here's the benefits. And, and really, I think, uh, starting small is a big one because, some players um, may in the past have worked with with people who, you know, they put them through a tough workout or they do some sort of work form of workout, you know, that that they don't enjoy. And it just turns them off to exercise um, from there. And so I think finding things that they enjoy and starting really small and kind of gradually progressing that to make into a habit is really important. Really good point there. These are traditional sports athletes that have been exercising consistently every day of their lives. You can't really, you know, if somebody maybe comes from that traditional sports world as a trainer, you might expect them to have a higher level of what they could do from the jump. And it's probably good to realize that, hey, no, we might need to start slow here. We might need to start with resistance bands or something uh, and not just throw them into like a full on circuit or something like that. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you mentioned how gamers might not see the benefit in this. And I think one of the biggest case studies we have of why it's really important for people to be focusing on it is uh, Yuzi, UZI from Royal Never Give Up. The He was the top League of Legends player in the world maybe a year and a half ago and uh, retired this summer at the age of 23 due to health issues, uh, including just being generally out of shape and he went to he was the subject of a nike documentary last year during worlds where he got brought out to the campuses and they took him through a bunch of physical tests and he could hardly do a push-up and you know that's not to knock easy eye but it's just to show that hey a lot of these gamers get to the point they are and there's no focus on physical nutrition but or physical health or on nutrition but then suddenly that could go away when those health issues become really apparent at the age of 23 is that a way to communicate to players why this is important when you have case studies like this and you're like, Hey, if you prolong your career, you're going to build your stardom up so much more. And then when you eventually become a streamer, like all good esports pros do, that stardom will be bigger based on how long you've played a game. Is that one way you could communicate to people with some case studies and be like, Hey, people retire at 22, 23, 24. If you want to play till you're 26 or 27, even physical health is going to play a big part in that. 100%. Um, having those kinds of case studies, albeit it's not something that you want to see, but like it's something that you can use to kind of show players that this is a real thing and that there's research behind this. And esports research in general is is not there yet, and it's still a very young industry. Um, there's more and more research actually coming out very recently, and so excited to see more um, around you know health and wellness and, and performance in the space. That'll be another good way to kind of hopefully help change the culture. But um, with UZI is an interesting case because, you know, he, he's been playing, I think for like eight years, seven, eight years. Um, 
and even what he said himself, you know, he his high intensity training regimen where he's gaming 12 plus hours a day um, and doing that consistently with with very little breaks. And that's just kind of the mindset that you kind of have in the Eastern cultures. You know, you you play a lot um, and the belief that if I don't play more, you know, I'm not going to be able to to be at my peak when I get to competition. Um, also, you know, if you take time off, your teammates, you know, may think you're slacking instead of, you know, putting the time in. And so I think that um, it's a really good point because it gets to, the, you know, the point of him, the prolonged sitting time and the lack of physical activity and how that contributed to his health problems. Um, but also, I think it gets into another really important point, which is load management in this space, um, which is pretty much non-existent. And most organizations and teams, and I, I ask a lot of people, you know, like, why why do you set up the training schedule the way you do? Um, it's something I'm really interested in learning more about. And a lot of people will will give you an answer, and but there's no real like rationale necessarily behind it from a scientific standpoint, which which makes sense because a lot of people in the space, they're, they don't have that kind of framework or knowledge and are coming from that area. But um, I think in the future, being able to set up training programs where you're, you're gaming, not necessarily six hours straight, and then you take a break and then you do it again. Um, most pro teams, they're pretty good about it now where they'll play like two, you know, two to three hours a set, take a break and then go back to it. But, but even then it's pretty consistent. And I think that if there's a better ebb and flow between the stresses of gaming and then also with recovery, you're going to see less chances of, um, these things that happen to use the eye. And then of course, layering on top of all of that, you know, just optimal forms of exercise, um, you know, eating right and sleep. Um, Nike did a really great job with the the new ad, you know, and, and kind of highlighting that. And so, um, you know, I can go into a lot there. It's really, it really is not a lot that they have to do. Um, I'll use exercise as an example. Um, so the recommended exercise per week is 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity exercise. And so, um, that can seem like a lot, like you can break it up like five days of 30 minutes, or you could even break it up into shorter chunks of 10 minutes and you can still achieve those benefits. So, um, if you're gaming, say, you know, if you have three sets a day of two to three hours of practice time, maybe more than that, just doing like a short 10 minute physical warm up before you play and then doing like a five to 10 minute cool down afterwards is a great way to help mitigate those harmful effects of sitting as well as providing you immediate performance benefits. Cause I can get into a lot of the research of how it improves cognitive performance, uh, reaction time, learning and memory, um, among many other things. And it's something that, you know, can be kind of, it's basically designed into their existing training program. And so this is actually the the basis for a model that I've created and we'll be uh, publishing soon in both a book and a research journal article. Um, but regardless, um, you know, I think that UZI is a great case study as long as more others that I'm probably going to continue to keep coming out, unfortunately. And hopefully at some point, you know, that'll, that'll get people's attention more and then it'll just kind of keep pushing things in the right direction. Absolutely. There's, you know, there's, there's some things with reaction time diminishing over age, but there's really no reason that esports players can't play till the age of like 28, 29 uh, in the way that it's really crazy how early they retire. And we look at, especially in the traditional sports world, how a really intense focus on nutrition and exercise and like new age medicine has made players like LeBron James as well on his way to his uh, fourth NBA championship in his 17th NBA season. 
without hardly an injury. Tom Brady is playing at the age of 42 in the NFL. These are just ages that people usually were not able to have this type of performance at. And I feel like in esports, with more and more focus on that, we're going to see the idea that players fall off a peak at the age of 22, 23, which has historically been true in most games. Some games are an anomaly. I think fighting games usually trend a bit older. But quite a few games, players are falling off by uh, 22, 23, retiring by the age of 24. And I feel like a focus on health could really help change that. And it's something that's important for esports to change if they want to build up stars to the pedigree that they exist in the sports world. You have to play for a long time and play at a high level for a long time to build up a startup, which is really important for gaining fans and bringing people into a game. Definitely. I think a lot of it comes from the leagues as well. And so a lot of these leagues where they have potentially a large amount of money um, should, in my opinion, be investing some of that money into player health and wellness and also creating standards um, that you kind of see in other traditional sports. So players and organizations, they need to have a standard level of health. You know, they need to go take a physical, um, making sure that they don't have any injuries or pain patterns or specific things, whatever that is determined to be. And if they do, then they can't play. And so it's a potentially an incentive for organizations to invest more into health and wellness, but hopefully then the leagues can provide, um, you know, incentives and then money opportunities for them as well there. And another idea I've had too, is like with contracts, a lot of these player contracts, um, it's maybe potentially working with them to set aside a very small fraction of the potentially large sum of money that they're getting, um, to like a health uh, and wellness type program, which then can help pay for potential support staff um, that they can work with. Um, these are ideas that I think, you know, are, can really be helpful. I, could they work? Because uh, from the business side of things, it's not my expertise. I, I don't know. But uh, just hopefully things that, that will kind of change here in the future. Well, I think simply just for length of time and and creating, if you could create a better performance and just for personal well-being, in my opinion, investing in your health and wellness is one of the best investments you could make. Maybe not from a purely monetary perspective, but it will have monetary dividends and it will have personal dividends. And for the cost it has, especially when you're in a position like that, where you're a pro and your contracts usually for one year, most esports players are on one, maybe two year contracts. If you want to get another contract after that, focusing on your physical health and making sure you're still in peak condition in two years is going to help bring more money down the line. If you've fallen off a cliff and, and some 18 year old is killing you and just lapping you out there, well, you're probably not going to get that new contract. So investing in health early is going to, is going to help you for sure. Definitely for the players and I think for the organizations too, in terms of return yeah. on investment, if they do continue to with their contracts. And another quick point that made me think about is so like with a lot of Eastern uh, teams, you know, they have a huge talent pool for games like League of Legends. So a lot of times they don't mind, you know, players burning out because then there's another player that is able to come up and fill the place. But in places like North America, where you know, there's not as big of a talent pool. They can't do that. But if organizations would do basically what you just said, you know, investing into the long-term health of them as a player and their development, you know, it may take three or four years potentially, um, but, you know, they might be on par then play with with teams uh, on the East um, in a different way that they have their training model set up. Definitely. And I hope those, I, I could definitely talk about the West. I've seen a lot of the uh, mindsets change and Nike's initiatives are all focused basically on China League of Legends uh, and that's basically their entire strategy which is 
good. And that's hopefully changing some attitudes. But yeah, I still think there's a way, you know, team houses are very common over in the East still. And that's not really something we see in Western esports at, at this point, uh, where there's people who are literally living where they play. Some, some teams still have them, but it's more it's mostly moving towards fitness and, and places and then apartments separate, which is just a more healthy situation. The other thing you mentioned, uh, as you mentioned, you were talking about that article that you're going to publish. Congrats on that, by the way. Uh, Thank you. How <laughs> how do all those things play together? And Atomus is Atomus is. I did it. I did it. I got the, I got the name wrong. I knew I was going to do it. That's okay. Atomus uh, website. You guys have an awesome graphic that I like, which is basically showing uh, nutrition, fitness, uh, physical health, and gaming, and how they're all intertwined. How do people have misconceptions about how each one? plays off of each other i know personally i always can get uh you know when the gyms were closed during the high height of covid and they're still a little sketchy to go do it and i hadn't developed an at-home workout my mental health was really suffering and there's a couple reasons for that as well uh, but it, how are all those things intertwined i think people understand fitness and nutrition are definitely intertwined but how do they make an impact on people's mental health as well right it's a good question so uh, what you're referring to is so that's the Atomist methodology that we have. And so there are four facets of that. The first one being gaming itself, which of course is the most important aspect of esports performance. You got to play the game um, to get good at the game. And then the next is health. Um, so making sure that you have a nice base level of health, because if you have an injury, um, if you have some sort of condition um, that's going to you know impact your gaming. Um, and then the other two facets are psychology and lifestyle, which lifestyle consists of things like exercise, nutrition, and sleep. And psychology is basically everything from performance psychology to mindset. Um, and so each of those are, are synergistic and they work together. Um, and I really tie it back to the mind-body connection. So like you in a lot of in a lot of ways, we really separate the two from each other, especially in esports. You know, you don't really need to focus on the body because esports predominantly you just have to sit and use your brain. Um, but the thing is, is that they're both highly interconnected. And so, what you do to your body through exercise, it's going to benefit your brain, um, your mental health, uh, your psychology, the way you think, um, you know, emotional regulation. Uh, as well as many other things, and then vice versa. You know, the way that you think, the feelings that you have, and how those influence your behaviors, then in fact, you know, they can impact your physical health. And so, it's really important to be focused on both of those because that's ultimately going to impact your health, which then is going to impact your gaming performance. Definitely, it all gets into gaming, and yeah, that's just the the evolution of how people have thought about this for so long. Where it was just, hey, gaming, gaming, gaming is the only way to get better at the games to play the game, and uh, there's quite a few other ways to get better as well. So I want to wrap up here soon, but I want to ask about so sort of esports in general, because I think esports has, you know, we talk about how player health is an issue, but there's also another uh, issue that esports has to deal with, and that's metas and how quickly games can change. If you think about how slowly traditional sports change over time, you know, uh, say, the three-point line is moved in the NBA and it's moved out by three inches. And that's the only real change they make in like a span of 10 years. And in esports, you have the constant meta shifts, champions coming in and out of meta. Does that, is that led to a little bit higher levels of crunch as players are constantly feel like they can't take time away 
because if the meta changes completely, then they might be behind. And so uh, there's this feeling that you almost always have to be gaming and have to be staying on top of the meta. Like basketball isn't going to change in the offseason. You're going to still trade. You're still going to work out. But generally, you're going to come back to the exact same game that you left in the last season. Is that something that esports needs to recognize and that might be something that makes it a little bit difficult for people to have longer careers? 100%. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that is definitely a big problem in esports is a lot. And I think it stems a lot from the game publishers themselves um, and just the way that, you know, viewership goes and what the, the viewers are wanting to see. And in this season, you know, if you take a game like League of Legends or Overwatch, you see all these changes, you know, very frequently. And with these meta changes, of course, players, they have to relearn um, how to, you know, optimally play uh, what the best strategy is going to be. Um, and so because of that, that really ties into the whole load management that I talked about earlier is, okay, now instead of playing two blocks a day, uh, we have to add an additional third block because we really need to figure out how to play this champion or how to play this comp or how to play this strat. Um, and so really what, what's happening is, you know, the game publishers are really pushing the players to play more, um, because obviously it's changing so consistently and you use the example like basketball, like basketball and other traditional sports, they, they change so slowly over time. So players can really delve deep into like the, the nuances of how to improve their game. Um, but esports players in certain games like these, they can't do that because, you know, it's just constantly changing all the time. And so I think game publishers need to, to basically find a more optimal level of how to change the meta. Maybe it's a, you know, a few times through the season. I know there's a lot of a lot of things that go into that, um, but that's going to hopefully help set up more be better load management strategies um, so players don't have to feel like they have to play so much. Um, I know an example of uh, an Overwatch team, you know, they, they had uh, basically a week, you know, the, the meta change, a week to basically prepare for an important competition. Um, so what they had to do is they had to, you know, add on triple block sets. And so, they're playing a very high volume of gaming going into the competition, which is something you ideally don't want to do. Um, I've seen teams, you know, where they'll play 60 plus hours going into a weekend and you're playing one match. You know, right. that's a high volume of play, you know, putting a lot of stress on the body and mind. Like you're, you're not going to be able to recover to a level to get the adaptations that you need to play at your peak uh, to do that. And so um, there's a lot of awareness, I think, that comes from the players and teams themselves, but really this the leagues and the game publishers to make sure that they're setting up more optimal schedules. And then a good example, I think, is Australia's, who their performance model, like they nailed it. They nailed it. Um, it worked out for them really well. Um, they have just about every type of support staff you could possibly need. Um, they were playing in a very optimal way in terms of load management, uh, but they eventually kind of shifted and you know they started playing competitions more frequently and. Uh, it's interesting, the science, like what research shows is, and I did one of these studies as well, is uh, even in a non-competitive environment, your heart rate can get up to 100 and, you know, from peaks, what we've seen is around 100 to 110, 120. But when you're actually in a competitive environment, heart rates can soar all the way up to 160, 180. Um, I've even seen with a recently published uh, study, uh, heart rates got up to over 200 beats per minute. That's insane. Oh, wow. Um, That's a huge demand. Right? It, I mean, it's, we don't know yet if it's dangerous. Um, but the thing is, is like, you know, if you're exercising and your heart rate's up there, you're, you're basically max intensity. So um, that can be great, you know, because it can provide a lot of benefits. But if you're just sitting, playing a game and that's happening, like it's hard to say whether there's any 
benefits coming from that or not. My my guess is probably no, because it's probably just doing more harm to the system. But um, but there needs to be more research on that. And but but the main point is is that that's a huge demand. And if you're doing that consistently over two to three days uh, each weekend for a competition, and then you add on top of that traveling, um, you know, having to fly around, jet lag from time zone changes and all of that, you can see how burnout just becomes a really a really easy thing to achieve. And so I think that potentially happened with Australis and, and other, you know, other teams that, that have gone down that route. And so um, it really does come down to, I think a lot of, uh, there needs to be a lot of education and advocation for, for these things. And it, it will come, I'm sure, but um, the game publishers and the leagues really need to, I think, be able to, to set these things up for, for success. Absolutely agreed. It has to start with, with the publishers. And I feel like we've seen, them realize that they might not have to change things as quickly. You mentioned Astralis and CSGO with, I think, two years without like a major patch. And it didn't make people just fall off. Like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, four months after no changes, people just stopped watching it. People still liked it. Rocket League has gone five years now and is still the car that 80% of pros use is the one you get when you load it up and it's gone through zero changes and it hasn't, it's still grown as an esport. So I'm, I'm hoping that more people are noticing that, Hey, we don't necessarily need a fortnight like schedule of every two weeks. We're going to introduce uh, some new game breaking weapon and people have to play it. We could actually allow players to create their own meta because they can figure out, you know, we think this strategy is if, okay, if one thing's super overpowered, maybe nerf it, but people can figure out what they can do and then you can develop counters over time uh, versus having to force it and mandate it from a publisher perspective. So I, I think that's something that some of the esports operators are noticing and then also playing things on previous patches where, okay, we have a patch scheduled to go out, but we have a big tournament coming out. We're going to let you guys know right now, we're going to play this on this previous patch. So, you know, what you've been playing on the last two months will be what you play on in the playoffs or, or the championship. And so I feel like there's some things that publishers can do, but there's still some work that definitely needs to be done on that front to just make sure this is a healthy environment for all the players. Cause that, again, like we mentioned, pays dividends for the league as itself as a whole. Definitely. I'm, I'm sure they are definitely thinking about these things and, and working through them. And um, if anybody's listening and you need help with that, you know, we'd be happy to help out Adam. <laughs> um, and um, I think like with Halo, it's a really good example, actually, you know, Halo three, like the game hasn't changed much in the last 12 years since it was released. And it's, it's crazy how many people find new ways to play the game still even today. And I think that uh, kind of getting away from that, that always constant cycle of instant gratification and, you know, having, having a game. And I know a lot of players in certain games, like they want the you know, the, the meta to not change as frequently because they love learning those, those nuances of the game. Um, and it just creates, makes things more competitive. But from what I have heard, you know, from a viewership standpoint, like most people, fans, like they want to see changes all the time because, you know, it's, it's interesting to them. And then, it, you know, the potentialness of it, it kind of gets boring over time. So I know that's probably a, a, a hard thing to kind of figure out for, for game publishers. But, but like you said, I, I know that, I know that something can be a solution is definitely, definitely there somewhere. Yeah, the competition between balancing for the casual player that gets bored very easily of a game and wants to see changes and balancing for the pro player that's just grinding a game cause is, 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 you know, the crux of esports balance issues. It is one of the hardest things for publishers to figure out. There isn't really 
a great answer. At some point, you have to cater to the larger player base, and that means doing something that probably isn't ideal for pros. So that's you know a constant balance that esports is always going to have to deal with, just due to the nature of being an online digital competition that can change so quickly. But hey, I want to wrap up right here. I know you got some stuff to do. It's Friday afternoon, and you know there's always so many important things to do, like play VR. And uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> could you plug your own personal social media and Adamus esports as well things you want people on the lookout for or for a lot of our audience who i imagine are more casual gamers i i don't think there's a ton of esports pros who listen to the show if there are shout out to you uh can you talk to some of the casual gamers too and just sort of plug some resources what they should be doing as they game and then also plug your personal socials and uh and Adamus esports Definitely, yeah. So for the casual players who, you know, maybe just want to improve their performance, small things can really uh, make the biggest difference. So, uh, for instance, like if you're if you've been playing a game and you want to rank up, but you've you know been plateauing, basically, just um, a good thing to do is to look at like how are you training? Are you just playing the game over and over again and kind of just going through the motions? Are you playing game types and maps? or certain things that are your strengths, but not really focusing on your weaknesses. I think trying to, to gain some more awareness of where you can really improve is really important. Um, and then really going back and doing VOD review. You know, there a lot of professional players, they do that. The reason being, you know, because they can, they can see those weaknesses, um, they can get a different perspective, um, and, and we really can get a lot better very quicker. Of course, VOD review is not as fun as playing the game. Um, so, you know, just, you know, you can fly through it thanks to to most uh types of games you know depending on what you have you can usually fast forward through things the important mo moments of the matches um but that's something i'd recommend and then obviously thinking on the lifestyle side of things you know like uh exercise you know if you want to improve your immediate performance um i can't go into all the research right now but like doing the five to ten minutes of exercise you know some push-ups some squats it really does not take much it's actually going to stimulate more brain activity in your brain you're going to have better cognitive performance, including information processing, switching from one test to the other, uh, among many others. And, uh, you know, try it out. See for yourself if you're skeptical, you know, see see if it really does, how, how it makes you feel. Um, but that's a good tip to have. And, and what I'll kind of leave for now, because there's a lot more I could get into. But um, if you're interested in learning more, you guys can check out Adamus Socials at, at Adamus Esports um, on Twitter, as well as on Instagram. Um, you can follow me at Jake Middleton GG on Twitter. Um, also, you can check me out on LinkedIn as well. Um, any questions you guys have, I'd be happy to answer. Awesome. I will put his Twitter and LinkedIn on his guest page. Just look underneath this podcast. You should see his picture. Click on that and you'll see links to his Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, it felt like you were talking directly to me as I've been struggling through Plat in Rocket League for so, so long that I'm like, okay, you're right. I need to do my trading packs. I need to watch my VODs, but like, I don't want to. <laughs> and I don't blame you. I, I do the same thing. Um, but after you do it, of course, you, you realize how helpful it is. Um, and then sometimes if you've been playing a lot and plateauing as well, taking a little bit of a break, maybe playing less or playing a different game called cross gaming. Um, that can actually help when you come back to the game. You could see some dividends in performance. I just try to hit the perfect amount of beers that unlocks my maximum potential. Somewhere about like halfway through the second beer, I'm at peak performance. I know this is not healthy and I'm telling this to the absolute wrong person. But No, this is good my... science. I'm, I'm very curious. So two beers you're saying is the optimal two... level? Yeah, it's 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 
uh, like three sips in to the second beer, and then that continues till about done with the third. And after that, you sort of go off a cliff. It again depends on like alcohol percentage and all that other research. You know, it's very scientific here. Uh, but that's my personal place where I am at peak performance, where I don't care that I'm getting tilted by my teammate, and I can zen perfectly the um, perfect yes zen. no i should i should watch fonts that that would be a much better and then then hit my zen point and we'll see how good i do definitely or if there's like little weaknesses rocket league's a great game because it has those uh individual training tools um which i know mm-hmm. some other games don't have so that's another thing too um but it's good to know you know your optimal level of arousal because that's another really important thing <laughs> oh it's it's not healthy but hey it's fun it's fun that's why we play video games after all and i'm never going to be in the rlcs even as much as i want to hold on to that dream awesome jake thanks so much for joining the podcast it was a blast talking to you man we're definitely going to have you have you back off for the halo reunion special in a few months uh for sure so until then good luck with what you're working on congrats on getting that thing published and to our listeners go follow jake if you want a better resource on esports health and nutrition it's a really fascinating area and you'll learn a lot from following the experts in that space